Good evening. Welcome to Laugh and Monkey Music Show. Tonight we have on Al Staheli. How you doing, man? Great. Thanks for having me on. Well, it's a pleasure. You have a, a new new old album. <laughs> That's Al- a good way to describe it, yeah. Right. Um, we'll talk about that in a minute. Just so people don't know, I want to introduce you to my audience that may have not have heard or you know too much about you. I know you were in Spirit for a little bit, and yeah. you do like one of their better known critics love it the best. But you didn't do the single, but you sing the single. You've got the most known voice, even though you were there in the shortest time. Am I right on, am I kind of right yeah, on this one? Yeah, I mean, it, uh, I don't know the exact fractions of time we're discussing, but I can, yeah, let me give you a little background. Please, I, I, please do. Cause... Yeah, I, I grew up in Austin, Texas, before it was so famous as it, as it is now, like a third generation Austinite. Uh, Went to Austin High, played in bands while I was in high school, went to the University of Texas uh, as an undergraduate, played in a band there, went to law school at the University of Texas, couldn't hang out and just be a musician because Vietnam was going on at that time, and had to stay in school, and so ultimately uh, played in bands through law school, which was, I think I was the only law student at that time that uh, had a band going. Uh, and but I promised myself when I got out of law school I was going to give the music a full-time shot I was only 24 years old at that point and looked about 19 and figured uh, nobody's going to trust me to be their lawyer and plus if I didn't give it a shot I might end up being one of those midlife crisis guys who starts a real bad band when he's 45 and embarrasses himself so I, so I went to LA uh, my drummer the last drummer I had in Texas Curly Smith had gone out about six months before me and it joined up with Mark Andes and Jay Ferguson who had, were in the process of leaving Spirit to start Jojo Gun and so when I got out there they introduced me to the remaining members of Spirit Randy California Ed Cassidy and John Locke and so they had me uh, over and rehearsed, rehearsed for two or three weeks, and uh, they decided to invite me in the band. And uh, so besides the songs I already had, I started uh, working, getting up in the morning. I was renting a little uh, one-room efficiency and about a block from Venice Beach and get up in the morning to, to take a run on the beach, come back start writing songs and go to rehearsal in the afternoon and uh, that's the way it all started and so that's that's it's a good start that's a good so i got a couple quick questions i appreciate thank you for that little little bit because i couldn't have gotten the timeline right and and then then you left but you did solo and so but when you're doing bands you but your your original goal was you're going to be a lawyer right that was your no were you still on the fence and you kind of uh, as a matter of fact, uh, as an undergraduate, I was pre-med. And, oh, my God. Yeah, and I was in a band with two law students, and we were a popular band in town, making good money on weekends at frat houses. And Did you guys have a good name, too, like with a med student oh, yeah, and two yeah. lawyers? You could go, oh, no, no, but it had a, a name typical of the times, oh. uh, you know, the fabulous Chevelles. Oh, of course. I was thinking something like with a lawyer, like two lawyers and a med student or some kind of like play on the and, your majors. Yeah, that'd been too corny. Not that Fabulous Chevelles were, that was corny enough. Oh, you're right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you got me on that one. <laughs> In fact, however, I just noticed that so recently there's some band in Australia called the Chevelles. So I guess uh, maybe it's still a current thing. Uh, at any rate, uh, it was time for me to graduate uh, and it was going to be time for me to graduate and I would have to leave Austin to go to med school and these guys had one more year of law school left and they already had wives and kids and uh, we were making good money and they said look you're the lead singer bass player you leave you can't leave you got to stay in town you got to go to law school with us at least for just for a year until we graduate to keep the band together so I actually started law school to keep the band together and I couldn't hang out for a year because <laughs> Vietnam was going on and I get drafted. Right. But after the first year I realized 
you finish the first year of this, you might as well finish because it's that's a killer year. And realized didn't really want to be a doctor anyway. This seemed like a, a good thing to do, you know. Well, it's amazing because you have a, a really good voice and, and it's still very strong to the day. And so like come out of the gate, like to be like thinking about doing other things and not be a musician because you're a good guitar player and a good songwriter, like right at the gate. So figured you just weren't going to put your head down and drill on through. I mean, you actually went to law school and actually did some lawing. <laughs> actually, <laughs> I did. you know what? I got out of law school. I took the bar exam just to get it over with in case I ever wanted to practice. I think it's law. impressive. I actually like this part of the story. I think it's an interesting twist. <laughs> and so I was actually a licensed lawyer when I joined Spirit. I just never had practice. <laughs> I never had used it and didn't for almost 10 years. That's crazy. So after, after you left Spirit, you did some, was it just a, a well, actually, so when you're writing songs to Spirit, did you, was it your songwriting? Did it fit well with the band? Because you only did one album for a couple of years. You guys were together. Was it just um, not a gel, like musically? No, actually it did gel. We were doing we were doing great, and the reason for the breakup uh, really was that the two original members uh, were kind of fighting with each other, or the John Locke decided he wanted he just got married, and I think he sort of life changes. To, yeah, like, I was looking yeah. really dirty. Just kind of wanted to the songwriting because I'm always interested in songwriting behind and, the scenes uh, type of deal. And then so for for a while we. Uh, then Ed Cassidy, well, no, Ed Cassidy decided, I got it backwards, the drummer decided he was going to leave. Mm-hmm. So for a moment in time, it was uh, me and my brother and John Locke, and something really interesting happened that I regret I don't have on tape, is Cozy Powell, who had been, if you're familiar with him, you know, he'd been a drummer. Yep, ELP and yep. every other... And legendary band yeah the, 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 my brother and I were big fans of this and so here we were and we were uh, looking at the drummers and we heard through the grapevine that Cozy Powell was in LA and that Johnny Winter was trying to talk him into joining his band and I took a shot thinking you know what all the musicians stay at the Continental uh, Hyatt house when they come to town let me call over there and see if right. Cozy's there so I called over there he got on the phone and i told him you know we're spirit and also drummer and would he like to come out and have a jam with us at the time i was living uh, at a house right on the beach in trancas which is kind of like north malibu had a place on the cliff looking right out over the beach had the roadies set up in the living room uh cozy comes over and you know of course we were real excited to play with him yeah we play for about an hour or so, and he gets off his drum and he said, well, do I get the gig? He said, <laughs> he said you want the gig? He said, yeah. I said, yeah, you got it. And so he said, well, give me a, I need to go back to England to do a Donovan album. I promised Mickey Most, the producer, that I do that album, then I'll come back. So he did. He went and did that. He came back, and he was staying at my house, and uh, we, were, we were going off to our rehearsal place rehearsing. Uh, we even got, did, went out and did a few gigs, uh, opening for the James Gang, and it was so struck. If if you heard that, well, I guess you have heard the feedback album, as you thought, but if you can imagine those That's songs good. with Cozy Powell playing drums. Power drums. It just elevated those rock songs to another place. I mean, I love Ed Cassidy. He was a great drummer, great guy, but he was from the jazz uh, beatnik era mm-hmm. with you know not a heavy beat not a heavy foot and cozy you know like one of the most powerful drummers i've ever heard he and, brings the thunder in that oh yeah and in fact they kicked us off the tour because uh, we were blowing them away uh, those gigs and what were you guys called at that point well it was, we were still calling it spirit at that point uh oh, and i oh. mean and so uh then Cozy wanted to say, can my girlfriend come over? She wants to come over and visit. Can she stay here at your place with us? Yeah, of course. So 
she came over and he was so funny because we'd, we'd be at rehearsal, have a great time, and it would, the minute we'd walk across the threshold back into my house, his whole demeanor yeah. would change. And I mean, and, and uh, kind of not that happy. And she didn't like any woman that walked in the house. I was my, oh. uh, she is kind of freeze them out. You know, this is my girlfriend. <laughs> it was obvious she did not want him to be in an American band, fearing that she would be left behind. No. And, uh, so between that and some management issues we had, and Cozy also wanted Epic to, if he joined the band, to front him some cash that they didn't mm-hmm. front him. And those things resulted in him leaving and going back to the England, uh, back to the UK. Uh, oh, also pressure from one of his buddies that uh, I'm blanking out his name. I think it used to be in maybe a guitar player for Profile Harem, uh, David something. Anyway, they started they started a group, did one album, and didn't do anything and disbanded and. Uh, Actually, one interesting thing is right after that, Cozy called me from England and uh, like, what is the guitar player from Humble Pie? Uh, I think there were a couple. Frampton? Not Frampton, but the other guy. Uh, Marriott? Steve Marriott? No, he was, anyway, he said, hey, What'd you think about what you think about starting a three piece band? You and bass and me and I'll think of right. it. Uh it sounds interesting. He said, Okay, I'll send you a ticket come over to the UK. Well, right before I was supposed to leave, the guy the guitar player broke his arm and had his arm in a cast, couldn't play. And then Cozy got another offer and did it. So that never happened. But one of my regrets to this day is that I have nothing on tape, not even a rehearsal tape. Wow. Playing drums. No one has a bootleg out there on the internet at this point I that somebody recorded it? Put the word out if any of you, <laughs> this would have been in probably uh, 73, I think. 73? Uh, I think so. If any of your uh, yeah. followers know of any bootleg tape of Spirit with Cozy Powell on drums. I'd like contact me him. or contact Al directly, and I'll contact him. It's that would be, I want to hear that. Anyway, that's probably enough subject. Though. Well, that's a good thing. I mean, well, Cozy actually did a lot of one-off, two-off albums. He never really stayed a long time in any band, so but that was part what? of the course. Fact, yeah, you're right. In fact, uh, one time he called me. He was in Houston. He was uh, doing a gig with uh, Brian May. Brian, and I guess Brian yeah. had a, his own album out or something. He played Sabbath for an album too. I mean, he played with a lot of people. So. Yeah, he, yeah. He was always on the move, you know. And uh, was. Uh, so he called me and went down and saw him at the Brian May show. And then the other thing, when I was uh, Andy Johns was uh, a friend and a client of mine when he was he was producing uh, Cinderella. Uh, mm-hmm. He wasn't when he was doing the second album for Cinderella. Apparently the drummer wasn't cutting it, and he he brought Cozy over. And when uh, Cozy found out that I was Andy's lawyer and friend, they they called me and we we had a good catch up. Then I, the last time I ever saw Cozy was when he was uh, playing uh, in England with you know the original guitar player from Fleetwood Mac, Peter Green, mm-hmm. yep. and oh, wow. Saw one of those gigs, and we had a nice bad, and that's the last time I ever saw him before he died in his car crash. Man, you got some really good people. <laughs> yeah. So, how did you? Then you took a break, right? Then you went. You came a lawyer. You went back to. Well, it's more complicated than that. It's uh, all right. Well, hear it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, it's, well, it's interesting because I mean, because well, at this point, you recorded. And this is a good part of the story where the album that we're, talk, we're going to promote, we're talking about, which is fantastic. When was that recorded? Around, around this time? Okay. Well, so when the spirit finally broke up, uh, right. my, my brother and I did 
uh, one album for Epic Records, which is the same label Spirit was on, uh, as the Staheli Brothers, but not, and it's really an interesting album, but you can only hear it by, on YouTube because it's not even out streaming. But if you go on YouTube, you can hear some tracks that fans have put up. Uh, yeah. But because we no longer had that name Spirit, uh, couldn't the same, same singer, same lead guitar player, same bass player, they've been hearing for a few years. We found out the value of a trade name. And the booking agency couldn't get us uh, a tour that would even break even, let alone make money. So we were kind of thinking, what do we do? Well, about that time, my brother uh, got offered a job playing guitar with Jojo Gunn because Matt Andes left. And I couldn't ask him not to take it. Uh, right. So, so he, he uh, went with Jojo Gunn and played on their, toured with them and played on their last album. And so at that point, I just thought, you know what? Getting all these bands, they break up. I'm, I'm going to try to see if I can get a solo deal. And uh, I already had songs that were suitable, some songs that were suitable for solo artists uh, as a solo artist, but made a conscious effort to write songs that were more that more solo artist friendly than writing for a rock band. And so, and that's what you hear on this, this album. Well, Phil's artists, yes, it feels like the songs could have been perfectly between any song from, from the seventies. From I mean, it feels so familiar, but, not, but new, you know what I'm saying? It's like, yeah, like, man, it, it, it's like, it sounds great. I mean, it's really. <laughs> everybody, everybody says they're shocked at how great it sounds. Like, it's soon because it's old, it should sound maybe not as technically good, but a lot of the stuff was done. It's some of the best studios in LA, the record plant and various places with some of the best musicians. Well, sometimes just music gets as a, a sound of that time period and it's dated, not actually because it's old. Certain producers put a stamp on a music and it's that sound. This has a very fresh, live, breathing sound to it. And that's you know, kind of what it is. You're not the only, uh, I've been doing a bunch of interviews and I've had that said to me. Uh, quite a few times I say it sounds current and I think really because I'm not I'm certainly not the mm. best judge of that because I know when it was done and when it was written uh, right but it's interesting to me that I'm getting a lot of feedback like that uh, and obviously I like it that you feel that way uh, but just to tell you how I got to doing these recordings is that so when I decided to embark on a solo career and see if I could make it happen, I was uh, pretty broke after having been in a band that headlined Carnegie Hall and Dr. John was our opening act. And wow. uh, I found myself uh, doing Talent Night at the Troubadour, playing, having 15 or 20 minutes to do some songs, you know. And, uh, so it was really a, a moment where I had to say, okay, I've lived the fantasy part of being a rock and roller. I've heard myself on the radio, uh, headline, Carnegie Hall and big concerts, and, uh, all that. Now, do I really want to get better at this and better at the craft of songwriting and stick it out through the tough times and or just go back and be a lawyer back to Texas or <laughs> I said, no, I want, to, I want to go for this. And so what that began, a very lean period at L.A., but interesting and fertile. Uh, and it was really encouraging how many people willing to help me out that believed in music. So, uh, for example, some of those, some of those tracks, like... Uh, Wish I'd said, uh, Tinderhooks, a uh, couple of the, uh, All's Forgiven, a uh, couple more, I think, were, were done on Spec Time that Friends with Studios and, uh, really? and, and, and musicians came down and played for free, including like Jim Horn, the famous, most famous sax player. And, 
he's the guy playing flute on the uh, Live Like a River. And, it is flute. Uh, I think it was flute or piccolo or some kind of wind instrument. Yeah. You had everything on that album. And, uh, and the Blackberries, who were the most famous background singers, you know, they had play, they'd sung on uh, the Feedback album and the Stavey Brother album. They came down for free and put background vocals on. But then some of the stuff uh, was like uh, Stand, uh, Stand in Love, uh, Safe Cracker, Too Long Alone, Coasting, Epic records uh heard some of this uh, spec demos i've done and, and greg geller who was the west coast a and r uh gave me a budget to do some more and john Boylan, who was a, just become a staff producer with him uh wanted to produce them so i said okay so we did those songs at the record plant and uh then some of the other, then I finally got a solo deal uh, and got started the album with had Steve Cropper on guitar, Gary Malibu on drums, uh, Pete Sears from Jefferson Starship on bass, uh, Al Garth, Blackers of Messina, later played with the Eagles for about 12 years, sax and uh, violin, and uh, Snuffy Walden, uh, who was playing in my band uh, around LA who I could not be more proud of the way his life has turned out. I mean, he was balls to the wall, electric guitar god. And he's a wonderful musician, but not the type of musician that you would think would end up being the king of TV music, <laughs> which he is now. For those of you who don't know out there, I mean, you see West Wing or you see uh, Roseanne or uh, Ellen or uh, it, it wonder year all that stuff see wg snuffy walden in the titles that's that's snuffy walden who's playing by the way playing the solo on the very first track uh white eyed and innocent off this album and uh two tracks down on chipping away that's the song i like that's my favorite on the track i, I you know it's, it's interesting you say that because that's one of the most, one of my favorite moments in this album is in the middle of that track when Snuffy plays, start the first half of the solo, Al Garth comes in with the violin, and then they finish mm-hmm. it off together. You know, it's like, well, I can... I've played that track a few times, like, you know, some of the album going through or whatever, but I mean, they all stand out a different way, and some would be like, I see different hits at different times, but but like, yeah, Chipping Away was the one that really just kind of like, that's kind of, I, I they should have been a single back. I don't know why it wasn't a huge single back then. Yeah, because it's never released. <laughs> I know, I know. I'm saying, like, I'm saying <laughs> that that could have been a that scream single. You know, especially the thing with all of these. I mean, this is. I mean, it's it's a very unusual project because it's uh, what I think, and obviously you think are well written songs from that era, played by some yeah. of the best guys from that era, and some of the best studios but never released so it's not like you know somebody pulling out some garage tapes that they they did in their garage band you know uh no exactly i mean it's it's jamming you know and there's you know and you've probably heard this too in addition Mm -hmm. to you know the boomer crowd uh there's a lot of seems to be some interest uh from younger generation in that 70s era of music that Mm-hmm. Find some of this stuff interesting. That's all right. Oh, but oh, by the yeah. way, chipping away. Yeah. It, since you do like that song, that that is that was the song that really was written from a real life experience. Uh, the, oh, was it? Yeah. The uh, I, when we toured, well, the last tour we did, the Spirit uh, was in Australia, and. I met a woman down there and uh, we fell in love and she moved, moved to LA. She was a journalist uh, and she moved to LA uh, with me, but just shortly after she moved, the uh, group of magazines that she wrote for in Australia, the person that they had working for out of New York died. Mm. Uh, 
uh, in fact, uh, you may know who I'm talking about, I forget her name, but she wrote a book about rock and roll or rock and roll director or something. But at any rate, uh, they asked Julia, I said, well, would you go to New York, just take her place for a while till we found a replacement? And she ended up yeah. having to stay there for about a year. So we were having a long distance romance and, you know, they get hard, they get hard to do, you know? <laughs> so it yeah, was, I'd say. Chipping Away was written uh, kind of during that period. Because I, I know, and I've seen you guys actually play it live. I just, we have a current up video now. I'm still playing it. Sounds great. A little jazzier now. To tell you the truth, I don't know if that video should be up. That's the first time we've uh, performed that song with this band. I probably should have kept it. That's good. Really? Well, that's good to hear. But uh, if it sounds jazzier, it's probably just because of the people playing on it. Well, I mean, I figured it would be different because, I mean, the time period, different artists, whatever. The original sounds rockier, but every artist over the years changes their songs a little bit. Because you you change and it grows. Yeah, but to tell you the truth, I like the way that was recorded. I didn't purposely change it. I think it's just uh, we had several rehearsals and did it for the first time, and that's the one you heard. So uh, it wasn't. I mean, if I could, I'd do it just like I like that track like you so much. I I have it sound just like that every time I play it, and maybe more like that. And your your voice sounds great it, like it hasn't for somebody so you took some time and you 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 know as a lawyer obviously were you still playing a little bit and singing keeping your voice your chops up because you know here's what i was like is when i started doing the law thing uh first i came back to houston or back to texas and came to houston thinking i'd be there for two weeks i was a friend of mine from la was the song uh a music supervisor for uh, Urban Cowboy. They were shooting it down there in 71. Mm-hmm. So I was pitching some songs to her and the aforementioned drummer in my band who went to law yep. school by now was uh, a criminal defense attorney in Houston and I was yeah. staying at his house. And uh, he said, did you ever pass a bar? I said, yeah. Pay my dues every year. I never have practice. And he said, "Well, get you, get you a suit." And he said, "Do you have a suit?" And I said, "No." He said, "Get a suit. I'll take you down to the courthouse. Get some court-appointed cases for guys who can't afford lawyers." I said, "Well, I was pretty broke at the point that that point that record deal had just fall, fallen through." And so I said, "Okay." So <laughs> I go back, and uh, Lyndon Johnson's brother, Sam Houston Johnson, who had been a friend of my family's, had died about six months before that. My father was executor of the will, and yeah, he got gave me three of Lyndon Johnson's brother's suits to take back. So I tried it off down to the courthouse, and uh, one of those suits. And my buddy starts getting me uh, felony cases only because he tells, tells the press is right. I'm with him, you know, <laughs> and I'm with their firm, and so. I, Wow, that's lucky. So I mean, the fact of, you kept your you kept the license up too and paid every year is kind of a, you know, a good thing. Yeah, yeah because uh, I'd never used it, but I started. Yeah, and I kept thinking, oh, this is kind of a lark. This is temporary. And then I got a girlfriend, and then one thing led to another. And uh, to tell you the truth, it was good medicine uh, for a guy who'd just been record deal fall through and, uh, you know been through yep. all that stuff i was talking about uh to all of a sudden be on the other side being not looking for people to help me have a hit record but to help me to help people with more basic problems like don't let me go to jail <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so it was, it was uh kind of it came along at the right time but i kept doing so for a while in houston uh, Louis Messina, who had what's called Pace Concerts and now has the Messina Group. He's one of the biggest promoters in the U.S., but he started putting me on shows uh, opening for everybody from Jefferson Starship, Amy Lou Harris, to uh, uh, Roy Orbison. I opened for Roy Orbison. 
which was pretty cool. And then I got a chance to run off and do a tour of Europe with John Cipollina and Nick Ravenitis, the West Coast guys. And at the end of that tour, we did an album in Germany. Came back, ended up doing a solo album. I made a deal to that came out on Polydor in, in Europe. Did another tour of Europe with Chipling and Gravina. In between, I was so for about my first four uh, five years in Houston, I was living this double life of lawyer by day, rock and roll musician. Clearly, your friend let you work a nice schedule that allowed you to move it around a little bit, huh? Yeah, well. Actually, his his law partner wanted me to. I mean, it was flattering. After a while, I asked me if I wanted to join the firm, and I said, "Well, I really appreciate it, but I just want to stay loose because I want to have the flexibility to do musical things too." So I was really just on my own. Uh, yeah, with the firm as it happened, and I've never been with the firm. So, um, so I was doing some. Then I started uh, as a follow-up to the album released in Europe, uh, an album in Houston with Andy Johns, who I mentioned earlier. Yep. He came down and we started an album. And I had uh, uh, Donnie Wynn on drums, who toured Robert Palmer and recorded mm -hmm. Robert Palmer. Oh, yeah. Uh, and... Uh, at, uh, my brother played on some some things, but uh, let's see, Pat Thrall played most of the guitar, if you remember from Pat Travers and the Hughes Thrall Band. Later he played the Meatloaf, I know. Yep. Excellent guitar player. And actually the, this keyboard player played on some stuff called Aaron Zygmunt, who's now a big movie uh, composer. Uh, I remember, remember in quite a different way. Uh, we were recording out at a ranch with a mobile truck, my friend's ranch, uh, about 40, 50 miles outside of Houston, now called Chapel Hill. And for my friend, Aaron Zygman has been totally out of it, lying under a grand piano. Uh, but, but he did wonderful work. And uh, and so anyway, you get to enjoy the arc of all the a lot of those careers. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and uh, like I said, I'm particularly proud of Snuffy, uh, all that he's done. And actually, we did actually we did an interview together about two weeks ago because uh, we did an interview with uh, someone who liked to do interviews. He said, "Can you get someone else that was on the project to do it with you?" So I called Snuffy, and so. We did uh, an interview together, uh, and it was a lot of fun. So we're still that's really fun. cool. Yeah, and so at any rate, uh, finished the project with uh, about the time we finished the project with Andy, we thought we had a deal, and then didn't have a deal. And my son was born, and finally I said, "Okay, I've been still doing a lot of interesting musical things, but I'm a family man now. I got a better." concentrate on this law thing for a while and so it turned out I, I'm getting around to finally answering your question so there was about 20 years where I didn't really go out and perform uh, while my son was because we got divorced when he was six and he stayed no. with me uh, and his mom stayed involved but she had alcohol problems and so anyway I was the primary uh, primary custody and so he stayed with me and uh, so for about 20 years other but in answer your question about keeping up my chops I was determined to not be one of those guys who later couldn't oh, I, don't, I can't do it anymore so I always played played enough and sang for friends and people come over the house and we'd you know have parties and uh, and once in a while I'd sit in with people and so I was kind of determined to if I can't get any better, don't have time to get a lot better. At least don't want to get any worse. <laughs> you know, that's sort of well, it's good. I mean, because you do. It's not like, you know, consumption, we just you take it out into a whole different career and you're not actually out there. 
It's like they just took you and froze you. They froze you in that time level, and that skill set, and you haven't changed. And they just kind of take you out to play, and they put you back up. And they, <laughs> <laughs> My you know? brother thinks I sing better now than I used to, but uh, be it as it may, it's yeah, lucky that I can still do it. But, you know, I also haven't had any. Did did um your interest in, in, did you start when you, because when you were dabbling back and forth, did you start checking out the contracts and stuff? Like legally, because you've got your legal background, and also you start to do these projects, and there are legal things where you're like, "Hey, let me take a look at that." Like, oh yeah, oh yeah, of course, yeah. I, uh, the deal I did with for the European uh, with Polydor, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, I didn't hire a lawyer to do that. <laughs> I did it. Uh, <laughs> they say about a person that represents themselves. Yeah, I know, <laughs> yeah, I know, I, I know it. I know it well, and there's a lot of truth to that too. Cause there's a lot of things that. Uh, no, I, I get reminded I'm me. I need. I'm way overdue to update my will. <laughs> <laughs> but my, I was going with this. Like, did that kind of draw you into the entertainment part of it by proxy doing your own thing, kind of being like, "Hey, this is a well, thing." More than that, after you know, the, the criminal law thing was. It's very seductive, to tell you the truth, because it's it's always something new. Is it's and then the the courthouse culture is funny it's just that's you know any culture that has a lot of seriousness and pomp and circumstance you know that's why there's so many lawyer shows there's so mm-hmm. many uh, doctor shows you know because there's a serious part of all that but if you're on the inside it's also a lot of humor. you know how it is it, you know uh and so well just to give Example, one day I was walking out of the courthouse and this guy stops me and says, uh, hey, you want a case? I said, yeah, okay. What's that? Well, I was coming out of the supermarket and uh, they caught me with three ducks and some vegetables. <laughs> I said, three ducks and some vegetables? I said, what, what, what? Said, well, you know, I always want to be a chef and I like to cook. And I said, well, where are you from? You don't sound like you're from around. He said, I'm from New York. And I said, we're in New York. He said, Poughkeepsie. I said, well, you know, I've been to Poughkeepsie. He said, oh, did you pick your toes in Poughkeepsie like the old show? I said, no, I picked my guitar in Poughkeepsie. Uh, opened uh, the show for Hot Tuna. And he said, wait a minute, about three years ago at the Civic Center? I said, yeah. He said, I was at that concert. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I said, okay, well, here's my card. Call me. So I ended up representing this guy, you know. But uh, my first music client that of any note, I guess, was uh, Stevie Ray Vaughan. And uh, did this record deal with uh, CBS and some this stuff. And uh, that really happened because of his, uh, his roadie, who had uh, Cutter Brandenburg, who had been um, from Texas, but he went out to LA and was ready for JoJo Gunn and knew him out there. and. He was working with Stevie, and Stevie was about to lose contract. Said, "Man, you need, you need, a, you've got this lawyer, but he's not an entertainment lawyer. You need an entertainment lawyer." So, anyway, that. So, anyway, from that, so ultimately, it, it took a while, but developed an entertainment practice, and uh, haven't done any criminal law since I did my ex-wife's DWI some years ago. <laughs> I can imagine though that an artist would want another artist. They trust you more than anything. So it's almost feel like it'd be a no brainer. You know, who's this lawyer? Well, there's this lawyer here, or there's this guy that actually has been in a band and has had a career and has lived the life you have. Do you want him to represent you or somebody else that just doesn't even understand music? <laughs> That's true. You know, I just take it for granted because it's been my life. But no, I've had a lot of clients say, you know, it's really appreciate the fact that you've and done all this and you they know you as a kind of the person you were when you were a musician too. So it's not like you were, had a bad reputation, you know, so you had a reputation of being a solid earth type of guy. So now you're just, you know, it's like all, it's like the path. It really just ties in really well of your, your journey. Yeah, I guess so. Whatever, whatever it is, it's been an interesting long and winding road to invoke the Beatles and uh, their, uh, that's right. The current uh, get back state here. <laughs> that's an awesome. That's it's, it's great. Have you seen it? Yeah. I finished the, Actually, my brother came over uh, three nights row, and we watched it together. One night first, um, next night, the next night, yeah, so that was just last week. 
I think it's great. It made me so happy to see John and Paul getting silly. Yeah. Like see the real relationship. Because I mean, I don't know how many books I've read or how many, you know, in my life that I have, but to see that and, you know, you, it, it kind of cleared up a few things too, to, you know, that it was, yeah. you know, better. Yeah. Yeah. They, I mean, take the business out of it. You could just, you could see their process too. That was interesting to watch. Oh, the songwriting process was awesome. Yeah. Cause I mean, and also what you realize is they, they understood and took it for granted. Unlike most groups. Now that they're a vocal group, uh, I mean, they played their instruments with it, but this minute one of them just started singing a song that they were even just wasn't fleshed out yet. The other would start singing with them, either as a harm, trying out harmonies or uh, yeah, no, it's... response stuff. And, you know, knowing that we're not just going to have one lead singer, one guy singing the song all the way through, there's most likely going to be trying to work stuff out like we always did the nucleus of that band though the, yeah once one saying it one one scatting back and forth you saw paul almost like write a song while he was just kind of playing around waiting he, you know those four people together you get people break up for other reasons but man the odds of that many that, that nucleus <laughs> with so much talent that works well together to, to just go so fast like you know the wealth yeah. of material that could have come quality well, probably read this day he didn't say it i think in this but i've, I've seen other interviews with Paul where he said blows my mind he said there was never a time when Paul and I I mean John and I got together to write a song that we didn't write a song yeah. you think about that I mean you know, I know that's amazing uh, like, and, and, and how they would write a song uh, when everyone would write a song come in in the early days come in when they, they'd have they'd be expected to show it to the band and make the record in maybe a three-hour session. You know, it, it, of course they weren't doing that. This, but it gives you a clue as to because one of the first things I thought in this Viva movie was this stage of their career, post Sergeant Pepper, all the things. Mm-hmm. Why would they take on the task that they've set for themselves? It's set in the we see in this movie where, okay, in three weeks. We're going to write 14 songs and then we're going to play them live to the world on TV and, and make a record. You think, really? Who can do that? And, and you think that because you... of the pressure, though, that they, they, they used to do that. And that kind of maybe That's the pressure what is what they set their own deadline because they realized that. And maybe because they're falling apart, the seams, and they realized they needed a deadline. They needed a, a short window. They couldn't take a six month, drag it out because, you know. That, that, that's, that's exactly what I think is that. Well, it was such a, it was so ingrained into him that that's how, you know, but we always work under pressure and we've always right. done it that way. But that degree of pressure, it was unbelievable. And, but when you think about it, they always did two, at least two albums a year, plus singles mm-hmm. on the albums. And I think somebody mentioned that they actually did three albums, including Help, in one year. One year. <laughs> and, and, and that's the way it, I guess it was, especially for those English bands in those days. But, uh, because like Pete Brown, uh, you know, he wrote most of the lyrics for the Cream song, uh, Sunshine of Your Love, uh, all, mm-hmm. all that stuff. Um, one time I asked him, I said, how did you end up getting to write lyrics with uh, Jack Bruce and Eric Clapton for all his Cream song? He said, well, you know, he said, I was... And I was a poet, and known as a poet, and the poet scene and the jazz scene were very intertwined at that time in yeah. the 60s, early 60s. And uh, so I knew Jack because he was in a jazz outfit. Uh, and so when they with Cream, he said they would go out and do a tour. And when they, just as they got home, they'd be told, by management, the record company, okay, you got two weeks to do the next album. Well, they didn't have material, you know, he said, so Jack would call me up and uh, needed help, you know, so, but that was the kind of schedule, I guess, not just the Beatles, but other acts okay. like that were, you remember Elton John, even in the early 70s, was doing two albums a year, just the real fertile years for him, too. Yeah. That pressure that, it just, you know, it's probably good because a lot of good stuff came, if you took breaks, maybe 
all that good stuff wouldn't come out. It would have kind of fallen off, you know, off the thing. If you waited so long between, maybe that's what part of the secret is, is to keep it. If you're going and not do a second album, that's good. Cause they didn't do the second, a copy of an album. Just if your things are going good fertilely, keep writing songs, however you want, but don't stop the process really. Yeah. Uh, the other thing that blows my mind, some, I don't know if this is true. Somebody told me that three weeks after finishing that, let it be, thing that everybody's going to see uh they started the abbey road out if that's i mean think about that you saw what they went through in that they were hot though right for a month and they went and started writing new songs and making a new album so it's, it's, I, it's crazy i think there's two things i took that really out a lot of it was well first off the fact that yoko ono was, was doing the yoko ono thing right. and um but she was also um Apollo's like playing drums and the other guys you know, they're doing like you know really loud dissonant guitar sound it's almost like an early grungy sound that they you know what I mean it's like they there's like, oh, another, another sound they created early on they're the first version that did that you know alternative rock right you're right yeah, and knows that knows how kind of pure I mean first of all nobody's nobody's got a huge pedal board and you know dealing with looking for all sorts of it was just Plug into a Fender amp, pretty much. I mean, George had it. Had yeah, or a different guitar for a different tone. I mean, the other thing I thought was funny is when when George did quit, you know, and they, we'll just get Eric. Now, the fact that there's been such a back and forth between the two of them, and it was like that, I think there was a little more humor and a little bit just to, to get a little, a little rub on George. Like, either that would get him to come back, because, or if he didn't, I mean, it's Eric Clapton. If you're not going to have George, you have Eric Clapton. It's not going to suck. <laughs> No, if you have to have a replay, if you have to have somebody else, we're right. But you know what I'm saying? I mean, but I think, I think it was just to get a rub out of them and probably bring them back. Be like, fine. You're not going (laughs) to, (laughs) y'all. I think that was pretty funny. But the the other thing that I'm sure you noticed too, everybody, is that Billy Preston, how how he sparked them incredibly when he came in. And who would have guessed? I wouldn't have guessed that. That all happened by accident, by happenstance. That, and it was actually George that got into comment. Because what? If I yeah, I didn't know that. I just knew Billy came in, and I knew he was a fresh energy. That's all I knew, like from reading, but yeah. not to that level. He, I think he's part of the part that re-sparked part of it, that lit the energy to lead to Abbey Road. I mean, I think you're right because, well, first of all, they were you could say they were already talking about needing a keyboard player and they talked about oh, maybe Nicky Hopkins uh, which by the way I had a chance to work with and one of my favorites too but uh, but then the way it all happened if I understood that is this the way you understood sometimes I couldn't understand what everybody said but I, is that George and I think it was while George was on his break his quitting period that he went to see Ray Charles and saw Billy Preston playing with Ray Charles and realized, hey, we used to know him in Hamburg uh, when he was playing with Little Richard and went back and found him and invited him down to the studio. And the minute he came in, they said, hey, okay, wow. Look at the song we're working on. So we get back and right away he's doing just what the song needs. He was so good. He's Billy Preston, he was so good on the album, his, in the show, and just in general, what a great musician. So... That was it was a fantastic. It was yeah, it was good. I enjoyed it. And also, you know, Billy Preston was just the right thing and the right guy. But also, you know, when four guys are in a room together, rehearsing, sometimes anybody walking in <laughs> gives you somebody to uh, perform for or just kind of break. You know. Well, Yoko reading a newspaper was the part that was kind of soul crushing. <laughs> yeah. I'm not even making a dig at Yoko in general, but I mean, if you're a person. Even back then, sitting in the room while the Beatles was writing a song, it's like, yeah, you know what? I was I was surprised at how comfortable the other guys seemed with it at that. Point. Well, that's another thing, right? Because we learned it was over the years. It was like uh, they were like whatever, you know. Yeah, because I, uh, I mean, I can just I, I can't even imagine any bands I've been in where somebody brings their significant other and she sits down right next to that guy, and that's the way. We yeah. Do going to re- record and rehearse and i mean it's un- it's unthinkable yet like i said after everything we we've, we've heard the other three guys seem nonplussed by it. 
yeah, I think it threw a lot of a lot of the theories out the window and it really proved a lot, you know, in, in, a, in a really good way. And it really supports how, like Paul said, they there's a chance they, you know, if what hadn't happened to John, they could have gotten back together again on some level. So, you know, I wouldn't be surprised, you know, and that really would have just confirmed it. So what is the plan now back to you and your fantastic album that you have out? So how to get on earth and how what are we what are we doing now? COVID's kinda of weird now. You've got plans? Because I know you have a single, feel the heat too. Yes. So it's uh yeah, here's the plan. No, first of all, the, I've been thinking about getting this stuff out for a long time and you know, seventy-five years old. <laughs> if not now, when? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, but I never wanted to just kind of it's easy to get stuff up on the internet. I just never wanted to do just a digital dump and just okay it's all up there now right find it if you can one uh, I felt like it deserved a little something more than that and so I contacted Ron Stone from Bill Mountain Management who had been our manager in spirit and later on went, later went on to manage Nirvana and Bonnie Raitt and Eric Lee Jones and Ray Davies and all kinds of other people uh uh and i said ron i know that you know i need if i'm going to put this stuff out there i need some digital marketing help do you have anybody say yeah there's a a guy uh jay scavo that used to be digital marketing for warners and he's got a company now that's where i put all my artists with and he really does what he says it's not like some of these digital marketers and uh well you're also still a lawyer (laughs) as uh we uh talked to him and uh after a while decided yeah i'm gonna do this so i called ron back so thanks for the uh, recommendation i'm gonna use them and then uh i'm gonna release this this stuff and he said well you know i'm a manager don't you i said well yeah but i didn't think you would want to be involved with which easily be a money losing project (laughs) now you make it sound like being a jazz musician right (laughs) Uh, he said no i'll I'll help you out so he he got involved and then uh, the digital marketing guys had a got it contacted you from earshot mike turned out to be great as a pr yeah all of a sudden i have this team and then ron has this great woman that redid my website and does all so all of a sudden instead of just me dumping all this stuff out out there uh, there's a team and yep. uh how did you have rights to the music though like does it because sometimes artists don't have the rights or do uh, they turn them over to you were all things that i mean some of it were you know the demos that epic never you know ultimately they didn't maybe i didn't finish telling you what happened with that when you finished the demos for Epic, uh, maybe I did, I can't remember, Steve Popovich, and before it was approved, left CBS to start uh, his Cleveland International with Meatloaf as his first act. And so that Epic deal didn't happen, so they didn't want him, so I've got him. And then the other deal, the record company went out of business. Okay. You know, so... You know what I'm saying? You've heard the stories where like artists can't touch their stuff and it's the whole thing. Yeah, well, that probably would have been the case if this stuff had been released, you know. But for example, uh, the Staley Brothers album uh, is owned by Epic. I'd love to have that out again, but I don't I don't have the rights to that because that's never even been released on CD, which is unbelievable. You could re-record it and hit. You know, it wouldn't be the same. I, I it would. Well, no, because your voice is better, your brother even says. Yeah, but even the, the players and, and some of the stuff that's on there is so cool, like the blackberries. You know, they don't they not they don't exist anymore. And uh, uh, but anyway, we'll could maybe license it from Epic. Or, but, but anyway, well, back to your question, with what's going on? So yeah, um, this is volume one, mm-hmm. uh, as it says, which implies volume two, which will be the Andy Johns. Primarily the Andy John stuff that I mentioned, uh, but in between, uh, during the pandemic, uh, I was out in West Texas. We have 
of the Big Bend National Park area. I have a place out there and we stayed the month of August 2020 out there. And I was thinking, you know, I keep saying I'm going to, I got these, all these other songs I'm going to record. I'm going to do them. I've heard, not here for a month. I've got, I've heard there's one studio in Marfa, which is about 40, 40 minutes away. I know two great musicians there, Frank Christina, the drummer from the Fabulous Thunderbirds, mm-hmm. who had also been my client when he left the Fabulous Thunderbirds. But extricated himself <laughs> I think everyone's point. been your client at one point. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Scrappy Judd Newcomb, who's a great guitar player from Austin, who's relocated to Marfa. He played with Ian McLoggins Bump Band and played with all, the, all sorts of people in, in Austin. And uh, call them up, and they, they said, "Yeah, this studio's okay here." And I said, "You guys, I just, what do you think about doing now?" I was just thinking, "I just want to get these songs down." Yeah. And, uh, I just sent them some guitar vocal demos, and then we had one rehearsal. And oh, and they said, "Well, Chris Marish, who uh, great bass player, I heard play with Scrappy, and he played with Eric Johnson for years and years." Uh, was coming into town. I, I said, well, ask Chris if he wants to play bass because I didn't really want to play bass because I wrote the songs on the guitar and kind of wanted to present them that way. Yeah. Um, and so we had one rehearsal, went in the studio, laid down six basic tracks in one day, these guys, and of course, four days to overdub and everything. And they were, they loved the songs. They said, look, man, come back with five or six more and you'll have an album. So that was that all happened like end of August, first September, twenty twenty. I went back in October, and we did six more, two covers of uh, friends of mine. One, uh, you familiar with Phil Lee? Uh, um, um, sounds really familiar. He's 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 great character, but great songwriter. He's got this song uh, called "Night in the Box" that I always love, and I've been doing it in the. I'd already been doing it live. And I don't do it hardly anybody's any other <laughs> I don't do covers usually, but this song is a and then Freddie Kirch and Cam King, who had Freddie plays drums with me. I always love this song that they have called uh, What's So Hard About Love. So those are the only two covers. Uh rest are are mine. And so anyway, sometime in the next six months that's going to be the next album before the volume two album and uh we're hopeful that we may find a little label to help us put that out either here or over in europe so and then there's volume two something else is happening next year which is that we're talking to Sony about, which is the 50th anniversary of this feedback album, the Spirit Feedback. Oh, wow. So if the year after that will be the 50th anniversary of the Stahavi Brother. So if there's... You got a lot of work ahead of you. You better be taking your vitamins and getting some sleep because you got a lot of work ahead of you. So I don't know if all these things are going to come to pass. Uh, A couple I'm not totally in control of yet, but uh, for sure there's going to be the Marfa Sessions album come out and then for sure there's going to be volume two and if all goes well there may be 50th anniversary uh, vinyl release of uh, that would be cool that would be very cool so yeah so that in addition to my law practice keeps me busy (laughs) plus we're doing you're you're still doing law right now oh gosh yeah yeah well, I mean, you're 75. I figure you take some time to just like, ah, I know what, I'm just going to do music. You know, know. people say, well, when are you going to retire? I'm not saying you have to retire, but I'm not that, yeah. I'm not the guy because when you're tired, whatever. But I'm saying at this point, I figure you'd be like, you know what? Well, you know what? I, I kind of have it. I don't have to do everything. I got a couple uh, younger lawyers that worked with me for a long time. So I don't have to do every single task myself. Uh, yeah. And, so it, it seems manageable. It's busy, but manageable. But still uh, doing gigs, but mostly in the Texas area, uh, Houston, Austin. Just did a gig in 
Austin. If it opens up, are you going to tour more besides just that? I'd love to hear, uh, also, I like doing acoustic as well as uh, the band stuff. So in case in instances where it might not make be viable to take a band, uh, me or me and my brother, uh, a lot of times we'll do acoustic shows too. In fact, a lot of times uh, we'll do the whole evening, not have a opening air, we'll come out to an acoustic set followed by an electric set. That's the whole thing. That's cool. That's some of the answers that. There's, yeah, there's, maybe... there's certain, there's certain, uh, <clears throat> certain of those, certain songs that the way they were written on guitar and whatever other one, acoustic, electric. Well, most songs worth their salt if they're good. It sounds good on acoustic, you know what I mean? Yeah. There's, there's a few there's a few songs that you're like, yeah, maybe it doesn't translate, but a, a good song is meant to sound good on acoustic, and then it can go anywhere. That's so that's a good sign of how it translates then for you, you know? <laughs> it, you know, that's, that's, that's very cool. This has been very entertaining. I want to I thank you. I, I want people to go check out this album and let you know. It's been fun. Okay, okay man. Thank thanks. you. Okay. Bye. Bye. Bye.